0: Welcome to the Hoodoo and Chill Podcast, the number one hoodoo and spirituality-based podcast bringing awareness to African-American spirituality and a wide range of thought-provoking topics. I am Papa Seer, your host, your narrator, and your storyteller. Before the show begins, make sure you're subscribed or following the show so you don't miss out on any episodes. And as always, donations of love keep our podcast alive and give us the ability to upgrade the show enhance our content and most importantly do what we love you can use any link in the description to send your donation of love today now let's start the show good morning and grand rising or good evening and grand rising wherever it happens to be it is me the host the narrator and storyteller of the number one hoodoo and spirituality based podcast the hoodoo and chill podcast it is me the one and only papa seer as always family there isn't any place else i would rather be than here at the microphone talking, fellowshipping, sharing light and information, enlightening the world and all of my wonderful listeners of this podcast. So if you have been listening to the to One Joe podcast, if you are one of my OG, you know, followers or supporters, listeners, or even if you have been tuning in recently, I would say this year, you know that we have been slowly pushing out the glory of Black episodes. And I cannot wait until this project is 100% done that we can compile all of the episodes, maybe make it into one documentary piece or maybe one just big long podcast. I'm not sure. I don't know, but this project is so special to me, it's something that's really close to my heart. So for those who know me, I take my time. I'm all about perfection and excellence. I'm not going to put something out unless it's great. Today, I can say that we are happy more than happy to present not just one saint even though we're going to focus on you know one particular figure today we are gifting for those of you who work with the saints or for those of you who are looking to add additions to your spiritual pantheon or your court we are offering you 22 saints today all black all from africa all from uganda the kingdom of buganda this story is tragic this story will inspire you it might make you cry it might make you mad there's it's full of scandal so you if you're not sitting down in a mood prepared to listen and relax i think you might want to just you know go get you something to eat drink tell your boss you need about 30 minutes to you know take a break to yourself because we are definitely about to get into some things now before i begin i do want to say this episode is very special to me because you know as i as i I tell all of you all when you're doing your research never just believe what's automatically offered to you you know when when you go and read something and wikipedia will be your best and your worst friend wikipedia is a beautiful and when i say beautiful wikipedia is a beautiful liar okay so you really have to fact check your sources you really have to ask those underlining questions you really have to question everything that is presented in front of you if you want the truth as it relates to history now today's show is about charles luanga and the 21 ugandan martyrs okay so we're not just discussing charles We're going to discuss him and his companions of 21 brothers in faith who were martyred alongside him. Now, before we get into the meat of this, I would like to let you know that, you know, to understand this story, to really, really for this to drive this message home for you today, you really have to look past Charles Luanga. This story is more and it's bigger than just him. And those 21 young men that unfortunately lost their their lives. You know, this story is about the king. This story is about Uganda. This story is about Buganda, the kingdom of Buganda. This story is about not only just the lives of these saints, but the culture, the tradition, the history that predates anything derivative of Abrahamic religion this story has all of those elements wrapped up into one. Okay, so I have to do this story justice and I cannot, I cannot only sit here and talk about what happened with those saints. I have to talk about the entire story. And when we get into this, when we get into this, hopefully by the end of this message, you will say, Papa Sir, I'm so glad that you decided to give us a different point of view from this because I guarantee you, if you do your research on the internet, I am the only person who's going to fact check this story in this manner. Of course, we do want to invite everyone to check out the website hoodooconjurootwork.com. I will post a blog about this episode for further indulgement. I might even post some sources where you can, re- you know, read videos, get a couple of books, whatever you want to do. Also, we have classes coming up, you all. Workshops coming up. Workshops for cardamancy, spiritism. If you missed the first round of spiritism, we are bringing it back. If you've never taken the cardamancy certification course, we are bringing it back. Amongst a lot of different things that are on the website, this you know space is growing so rapidly, and I am forever gracious of just how. Fast we are growing here at the Hoodoo and Chill Podcast. So we encourage each and every last one of you to check out the website. Again, hoodooconjurerootwork.com. You can book a reading with myself. We have books, classes, materials, all sorts of educational items to enhance your spiritual journey. The Hoodoo and Chill Podcast will return after this short ad break. Why make another major decision without knowing the outcome beforehand? Would you like to know where your relationship is headed or what the future holds in store for you? My name is Papa Seer, and I want to assist you in making all the right decisions so that you, yes you, may live your best life. Are you seeking a new career? Does your love life need insight? Or maybe you want to connect with your ancestors or past loved ones. The realm of divination holds all the answers to your fortune. Allow me to use some of my abilities, bone reading, cardamancy, tarot, and mediumship to uncover the answers to your future. Go to hoodooconjurerootwork.com under classes and services to book your appointment today. Your spirit guides are waiting to speak with you. That's hoodooconjurerootwork.com to uncover your destiny today. Nestled in East Africa, Uganda is a country that captivates the imagination with its stunning landscapes, diverse wildlife, and vibrant communities. Known as the Pearl of Africa, Uganda is home to a population that encompasses various ethnic groups, each with its unique traditions, languages, and spiritual practices. As we delve into the lives of these saints, we will discover how their journey intertwines with the complex history of Uganda. From the reign of Mwanga II and the resistance against colonization to the spiritual fusion of traditional beliefs with Christianity. Uganda's story is one of resilience, cultural transformation, and the enduring power of faith. Buganda, the original name for Uganda, was a land with a rich tapestry of religious beliefs. By the mid 19th century, Islam had made its way into Uganda through various routes. One was the Buganda route in the 1840s, while the other was the northern Uganda route influenced by the Turco-Egyptian connections. The exact date of Islam's arrival in Buganda was 1844. On the other hand, the first Christian missionaries arrived in Buganda in 1877, sent by the CMS or Church Missionary Society. Shortly after, the Roman Catholic mission was inaugurated by the White Fathers in 1879. Despite some rivalry between the missions, their early preaching was generally well received, especially at the court of King Mutesa. However, it's important to note that these missionaries had underlining support from the European royal line with their own plans for Uganda's future. Prior to the arrival of missionaries in the 1840s, Uganda was a land deeply rooted in its traditional religion. The knowledge and practice of Christianity or Islam were virtually non-existent. The introduction of these foreign religions had a significant impact on the cultural and religious landscape, as well as identity, shaping its history in profound ways. While Uganda had a patriarchal society It's worth mentioning that women played a strong role in various aspects of society, including lineage and politics. In matters related to royal ascension, the lineage of women was particularly revered and considered significant. We begin our first segment with a backdrop of Uganda or at this current time, the kingdom of Buganda. As I always state, you know, whenever we're doing exposes, whenever we're doing these biopics, it's important before we get into the story to understand a person's landscape, their home, where they're coming from, you know, what's going on, what is the political environment in this story, what is the political and religious environment of the community at this time. We find so many times, you know, especially when we're talking about ancient history or anything that predates, you know, mid 19th century, religious and politics go hand in hand. So we are introduced to a country that has no knowledge of any Abrahamic religions. And that is very significant. We learned that Christianity did not even intercede into the kingdom of Buganda until the late 18th century. So for up until 1844, Christianity wasn't there. The 1700s, the 1600s, the 1500s, the 1400s, we know Columbus was in America at that time. But this kingdom had no knowledge. These religions were not prominent at all in their region. We find ourselves in the mid 1800s and the original king before, you know, we talk about the king where we will shine the spotlight on today, the king's original, the the first king was Mutesa. And he actually invited the missionaries into the land. And, uh, you know, at first there wasn't a problem. You know, there were so many different religions in Buganda at this time that, you know, I'm pretty sure in the king's head, he was thinking, what's another one? But the significance here is to highlight that this was a country that was steeped in religious diversity. Every clan, they were very much a clan-like society. Every clan, every city, community, they had their own set of deities and pantheons. And, you know, in our next segment, we're going to dabble deeper into, you know, some of the major gods and goddesses of the ancient Buganda religion. But I want you to understand the landscape prior to the Christians and Muslims coming in was a landscape of very much religious diversity with little to no knowledge of the Abrahamic religions. And this king invites these missionaries who he doesn't know. They have underlining motives for why they're coming into their country. And it's not to teach the word of God. And, you know, I'm not a person that really truly believes in evangelism at all. I think if you're called to a faith, then you go to that faith. But these missionaries, in my opinion, they were spies. They were spies sent by the kings and queens of Great Britain because they wanted this land. They wanted Africa. For those of you who don't know, once upon a time, Africa was divided amongst the Portuguese, the French, and the British. And this was, in my opinion, a land state claim. They use religious religion that if you're not a Muslim, if you're not a Christian, and you're a savage, we can enslave you, we can take over your land. Technically, you do not own this land because if you don't believe in God and all the land comes from God, our God, quote unquote, their God, the Christian God, then you technically do not own this. So they religion has been used for centuries as a mass of genocide and many other things. This king who lives in this land, everyone is worshiping their own gods and their own goddesses. He'll, he's allowed, he allows these white men to come in with their God. He has no idea on the major impact and influence that it is going to have on his people. But before we get into that, before we get into the life of, you know, Charles and the king of this land at this time, let's dabble further into how deep their god and goddesses pantheon goes let's let's discuss a few of the more well-known gods and goddesses of the ancient buganda pantheon the buganda pantheon of gods can be divided into two primary subcategories the first category consists of guardian ancestor spirits Known as Balu Baale. These spirits were believed to protect and guide the community. For example, there was Lubiji, the spirit that looked after the Lubiji swamp around Lake Victoria. Another subcategory of spirits were the scare animal spirits called Amajiji. In addition to the pantheon of gods, the Buganda people had clans named after the abundant provision of nature, plants, and wildlife. If someone belonged to a particular clan, they would refrain from consuming the animal or plant associated with that clan. This practice helped prevent the depletion of species, ensuring that nature was protected from human abuse. However, with the arrival of monolithic Abrahamic religions like Christianity, the fear of punisher spirits diminished. In ancient Buganda, a deceased person who was skilled or a great thinker during their lifetime was referred to as labu baale, which meant a deceased genius. This concept represented the spirit of a dead thinker. On the other hand, the spirit of an ordinary deceased person was called omuzimu. Within the Buganda pantheon, there were several different gods. Kibuka, the god of war, held a prominent position Mukasa, the human spirit that presided over Lake Victoria, was considered the god of prosperity, harvest, fertility, and health. In addition, Mukasa was associated with the divination and prophecies. Nalubaale, represented Lake Victoria, and Wamala, the spirit of Lake Wamala, also held revered positions. In Dwala, was considered the god of smallpox while Katonda the supreme god later became associated with the christian concept of god Katonda was regarded as the father and leader of the baganda pantheon another important aspect of baganda spiritual beliefs involved the muzimu which were the spirits of the deceased and ancestors The Muzimu were believed to reside near or around graves, but had the ability to travel any distance. These spirits were appeased through offerings and provided constant communication with their descendants. In certain instances, they materialized through possession. It's important to note that the Muzimu were not to be taken lightly. They were considered hot spirits, mischievous in nature, and often manifested when they felt slighted. Interacting with the museum required caution and respect. The Hoodoo and Chill Podcast will return after this short ad break. Discover the hidden secrets of fortune telling with playing cards. The Intimacy of cartomancy by yours truly, Papa Seer, is your guide to the mystical art of cartomancy. Discover traditional and modern interpretations for all 52 cards along with card reading diagrams and sacred christening rituals. This one-of-a-kind guidebook is a masterpiece that can be used with any deck of playing cards. But that's not all. If you're eager to deepen your understanding of cardomancy, join our exclusive four-week master course starting November 1st, 2023. Visit hoodoo.com conjurerootwork.com to register and embark on a transformative journey don't miss this extraordinary opportunity to unlock the secrets of cardamancy and to tap into your intuitive powers get your copy of the intimacy of cardamancy today and secure your spot in the upcoming master course visit Hudu for more information and to reserve your place it's time to embrace the magic within the cards for the record, I just want to say if I butchered any of the pronunciation of the names of those traditional gods, I do apologize. You are more than welcome to reply in the comments on how they are correctly pronounced. So moving forward, the significance here isn't so much of I don't want to say who each god is or what they did or the you know these deities. What I want you all to understand is that these traditions were well-established because, you know, what I gave you were just figures that were well-known. There are hundreds upon hundreds, countless numbers of, you know, deified figures amongst each person's colloquial region. Okay. What I highlighted for you were just names that you could even Google yourself. So the significance here isn't so much on this particular pantheon, but the fact that these religions these systems, these hierarchies had been well established for almost a millennium, if not longer. You know, again, I'm just basing things off of what I know from historical fact, but let's just go with at least a thousand years. And I don't think that the initial emotion was a hatred for Christianity, but more so a frustration because Let's look at what Christianity did to this society and to this community but more so the identity of the Kingdom of Buganda. This was a system, excuse me not a system but this was a country of, you know, people who had grown up birthed into the idealism that there is one supreme God, however there are many helpers or little gods who are under this all supreme God. This is the idealism. This is the religious theology that you were birthed into. Of course, for me, I like to be remain truthful and we have to just state facts about what it is to understand the entire scope of things. As much as we love our traditional religions, we have to be aware that a lot of these religions come steeped in heavy traditional socialism A lot of hierarchies, a lot of classism, okay? And the average person didn't always have access to the benefits or even the beauty of their religion. A lot of times the common folk were people who were used as sacrifices. These were the workers who kept the gods happy, but not necessarily enjoyed the benefits of, you know, the deification of these beings that was strictly reserved for the priest or the king or the royal lineage, right? So Christianity and Islam, Because we're not going to eradicate Islam from this conversation. I feel like a lot of times people place colonization on Christianity way too much, but we don't talk enough about the sub-Saharan slave trade. We don't talk about the sub-Saharan, you know, just colonization of Africa that still exists today. So these Abrahamic religions came into these societies and they basically started to dismantle the system. The common folk, you have to stop thinking in the mindset of a king and a queen. Because, you know, Us here in African, as African-Americans, we're taught to believe that everyone in Africa was a king and a queen. That's all we know. We don't even think about the common folk. I'm gonna take you to the common folk, to to the market streets. You have missionaries coming in telling you you don't have to worship 13 different gods. You don't need to pay a tithe and offering to 13 different statues. You only need one. And As a matter of fact, all he needs is your love and your support. You don't have to do these things anymore. Your food, all of your food can now belong to you. Your life is now in your hands. All you have to do is come get baptized and you only have to service one God. Oh, and let me put the cherry on top we're all equal even the king he's no greater or better than you this is the doctrine of christianity and then to back it up there's a book there's a book there's it's written down for you so you have something to take home with you people really do not acknowledge the impact that christianity had on the mindset of people who are not of the modern You have to understand that the mind develops with each generation. Remove your knowledge of what you know and and your thinking and put yourself in the place of a common person in the 1800s in Buganda. This was like, wow. Now here's another layer of this. We're not going to get away from slavery. If you were not considered a Christian or a Muslim, then we could enslave you. If you're not considered a Christian or Muslim, then we can take your land. A lot of kings and a lot of queens in Africa converted as a mass so that they could retain their kingdoms. There's a lot of dark history behind evangelism, which is why I really don't believe in it. I don't. Where do we move forward from here? Let us now introduce you into our first prominent figurehead of our story, which is a king. Mwanga II of Buganda was born in 1868, ascended to the throne at the young age of 16. In the traditional Buganda society, the king held a revered position before the introduction of Christianity and Islam. The kingdom of Buganda was deeply rooted in its own religion and culture, untouched by Christian And Muslim influences at the time. It is essential to highlight Mwanga's age during his reign. As a young king, he likely served as a figurehead, while the actual governance and lawmaking were carried out by the community's elders and council. Mwanga was most probably influenced or even directed by a group of older councilmen in making decisions for the kingdom. Understanding the story and history of Mwanga is crucial and comprehending the underlying truth behind the tragic events that unfolded. The Roman Catholic Church has portrayed Mwanga as a pedophile and sexual deviant, claiming that he maintained a harem of young boys for his pleasure. However, this vilification needs to be critically examined. Mwanga was crowned at the age of 16, and during the martyrdom, he was only 18 additionally the youngest victim was approximately 14 years old if there were any same-sex relationships they would have likely been with individuals of mwanga's age or older it is also important to note that charles luanga one of the martyrs was eight years older than mwanga therefore the allegation of pedophilia is unfounded especially considering the source a church institution with a long history of alleged and proven sexual abuse involving young girls, boys, nuns, and priests. Evangelism has often served as a justification for European nations to engage in global colonization, slavery, genocide, and war crimes. In the 18th century, Evangelism was the guise used to pursue the land and resources belonging to the king of Buganda. The entry of the white missionaries or spies as they were seen by Mwanga into the country was primarily driven by this hidden agenda, often backed and funded by the British aristocracy. Mwanga resisted colonization for over a decade, fighting to preserve the cultural heritage and religion of the kingdom of Buganda. Consequently, he was portrayed as a sexual deviant by the Roman Catholic Church, a tactic used to legitimize their intrusion into the lives of proud black people and a kingdom that predates modern Christianity. The Hoodoo and Chill podcast will return after this short ad break. I do want to take this opportunity to invite each and every last one of you to an extraordinary masterclass This class has been personally designed by me to strengthen your spirit court. Okay now this masterclass demystifies the origins, ritual magic, and relationships with archangels and personal guardian angels as well. So included in this is also a light intro into demonology as well as their relationships with the archangels. So In this masterclass, we will cover Archangel Pantheon. We will also have a light intro into demonology. We will also have angel altar construction. We will also speak on angel invocations. We will also dabble into the Book of Enoch, as well as we will teach you how to invoke your own personal guardian angel. This is 100% a masterclass that I have designed for the public. An amazing opportunity if you've never taken a class with me, all you need to do is go on the website www.huduconjurootwork.com or use one of the links in the podcast description. The video class is available for your viewing pleasure as well as the audio class is available for your listening pleasure. The course guide PDF book is also included with each version of the class available right now on the website for download. That's www.HoodooConjureRootWork.com or just use a link in the podcast description. Now, back to the show. Mwanga is definitely where our story begins to become intriguing, scandalous to say the least. If you were to go today and Google Mwanga II of Buganda, The majority of the information you're going to find, I want to say 90% of it is going to come from the Roman Catholic Church. Black, white, Hispanic, the whole nine. The majority of the information that is available is going to come from the Roman Catholic Church. And that information has also influenced a lot of other blog information that you may find. So when you go looking for information about Mwanga, this is what you're basically going to get. He's either a pedophile, a gay pedophile, from the, according to the Roman Catholic Church. If you look at some of the modern bloggers or TikTokers, he, Mwanga is a, a figure of, you know, the LGBTQ community. He's like, you know, this African, you know, figure of I guess patron for the LGBTQ community according to some I I truly have a different take on this and I need everyone to just stick with me through this and not cancel me because my opinion and you know my research just led me to something else and also I just kind of follow my spirit too. I do believe that he was more than likely bisexual. I don't I wouldn't use the term gay to describe this man because he had what, like 14 wives at least. His father had 85. So he had a lot of wives. That's first and foremost. Mwanga also had a lot of children. The allegation or him being labeled as gay, we can't go with that because this is a man who did have children and did have wives. So we would just have to go with bisexual if he even was. Secondly, this whole concept of him being a pedophile, I am not here to victim shame or discredit any of the victims, you know, or alleged victims of this situation. What I am here to do is to get everyone to look at this from the truth. He was 16 when he took the crown. And I'm not saying that a 16-year-old cannot be a pedophile, but he was 16. He was 16. Um it, at the time when the martyrdom happened. He was only 18 years old and the youngest victim was 14, 13 to 14 years old. So my belief is that do I believe that there may have been some sexual conduct undergoing with the pages in his court? Maybe so. He was 16. He was crowned a king. He could do whatever he wanted to do. And for those of you who may fight this allegation with, you know, homosexuality is not traditionally African however I do want to add that during this time Islam had made made its way into Buganda and a lot of the elders who talk about this story will allege that with Islam they brought the homosexual behavior or relationships with them into this region this is what you know the elders of Buganda sometimes allege from my research so moving forward with this, the Roman Catholic church had to vilify Muanga because of the fact they wanted his land, you know, and what better story to take back to the Pope or to the Roman Catholic church or the aristocracy to say, we have this black African savage who is a sodomite and we, you know, what perfect other allegation could you come up with to take his land by going back to the Roman Catholic church, the powers that be by saying, we have a black sodomite with a kingdom that we want. And he is, you know, engaging with the pages of his court. I mean, to me, it sounds like the perfect story to create. If you want to take out a King, take his land as well as, you know, politically, politically destroy him, This was a different time as it related to homosexuality. It wasn't today. So the idealism and the views were totally different. You could be put to death. We have to look at this with a different lens. You know, we weren't there. We don't know exactly what Mwanga was doing. But what I can tell you was that this was a 16 year old with more money and more power than he should have had at his age. And when you're that young and that rich and that powerful, you just may be out of control. You may be doing things that are not quote unquote, the status quo or deemed socially acceptable, right? And if he was this pedophile, as you all would say, where did he learn the behavior from? He grew up with a father who had 85 wives. Where would this behavior have come from? You know, I. You know, it it almost seems as if the behavior of homosexuality and pedophilia pedophilia comes in with the Roman Catholic Church, right? But again, you have to remember that this is an institution that has proven proven allegations in cases of rape of boys, women, young girls, priests, nuns for a long time. This is the institution that is alleging. About a black man. A black king at that. And I'm not trying to diminish any of. Mwanga's you know. Ferocity or. How he was to his people. But you have to remember where the source of the information is coming from. Or who cultivated the opinion. Of this king. It was the Roman Catholic Church. So even if he was engaging in these behaviors. To me it would seem like it's the. Kettle calling the pot black now let's turn our attention to one of the central figures in this tragic tale Charles Luanga born on January 1st 1860 and tragically passing away on June 3rd 1886 Luanga hailed from the Buganda tribe the largest ethnic group in Uganda within the court of King Mwanga II of Buganda Luanga held positions of great responsibility and influence. He served as the chief of the royal pages, responsible for the care and guidance of the young boys serving in the court. Over time, his dedication and capabilities led him to be appointed as the major domo, a trusted figure who managed the affairs of the royal household. It was during this time that Luanga's encounter with the Christian faith would shape the course of his life. On November the 15th, 1885, he underwent a momentous event. Per Gerard, a Catholic priest baptized Luanga, marking his entry into the Christian community. This act of baptism held profound significance, not only in terms of religious commitment, but also in the context of the turbulent times in Buganda. The clash between traditional beliefs and the growing presence of Christianity set the stage for the tragic events that would soon unfold. Little is known about the life of Charles Longa prior to his service with the king. And... He plays a very strong and prominent role in this tale because out of all of the martyrs, the people who were murdered because of their faith, it was Charles who suffered what someone considered the most heinous act of how he was tortured and ultimately killed. I think what baffles me the most is his conversion because we have to enlighten the fact that this young man, at only 25 years old, had a very esteemed position in royalty. And even prior to he made his ascension as the major domo, he already had a position of leadership in the court of the king of Buganda. You know, this was a very strong and powerful established kingdom. So Charles Luanga wasn't just your lowly peasant or commoner. This was a royal. I do believe that there was obviously something going on in the palace or amongst the myths that maybe pulled him away from his culture. Or who's to say that maybe he just didn't truly identify with Christianity and the Roman Catholic Church? We don't know. And of course, I always want to present the looming threat of slavery that was in the air. Whatever his reason for conversion, Charles Luanga seemed to embrace the faith. He seemed to take it serious. He even went as far as to get baptized. He was looked upon amongst his peers as a pillar of strength. He even baptized the youth, his companions, before they were martyred. You see, tensions were already flying at that palace and in that court by the time Charles Luonga had taken his position as the major majordomo. There was a man before him named Joseph, who had the position whom the king had murdered because of not only his faith, but because he was starting to go against the king. We have to remember that this is a a, a country who has deified their kingship, their monarch. For almost a thousand years so to go against the rule of the king in essence was to go against the rule of god or their pantheon of gods because the king was in that position that bloodline was blessed and it was divine so he got the position because the person before him was executed so this is a 20 something year old who's t- taken a very high prominent position in this royal court. Tensions are flying. There are people coming in converting from both ends of the spectrums, uh, the Islam, the Christians, and you yourself find solace in this religion to the point where you decide to go against the king. You get baptized and you decide to initiate yourself into this religion. With all of the underlying factors, with the tensions being so high already in the court, he still went through with it. So this lets you know either the type of environment that he was in or the character of this individual. And I think that's one thing to highlight about a saint, why these people are deified, excuse me, not deified, but canonized as a saint or even deified in some circles, you know, It's because of their character, it's because of the solace, it's because of who they prove they could be on this earth that echoed forever. So, you know, I just wanted to highlight who Charles is before we get into the drama. As we continue our journey through the life of Mwanga, we now reach a critical turning point that will forever alter his reign and ultimately seal his tragic fate. It was May 1886 when Mwanga issued a fatal order that would lead to a heartbreaking showdown. He commanded the converts in his court to make an impossible choice, renounce their newfound faith, or submit unwavering obedience to his authority and kingdom. The consequences were devastating. At least 30 Catholic or Protestant converts paid the ultimate price for their beliefs. In June 1886, 22 men who embraced Catholicism were burned alive at Numungongo. These courageous souls became known as the Uganda Martyrs. Among them were Joseph Mukasa, and Charles Luanga, who held positions of influence in the court as masters of the pages. They had repeatedly defied the king by protecting the royal pages from Mwanga's sexual exploitation. These heinous acts and Mwanga's persistence, resistance deeply alarmed the British, leading them to support a rebellion by Christian and Muslim groups sympathetic to Mwanga's half-brother. In 1888, Mwanga was defeated at Mengo and his brother ascended to the throne. However, Mwanga managed to escape and began negotiations with the British. In a bid to regain his power, Mwanga made a pivotal decision. He struck a deal with the British East African Company, agreeing to relinquish some of the sovereign kingdom in exchange for their support. The British switched their lines to Mwanga, and in 1889, he swiftly removed his brother from the throne, solidifying his rule once more. Mwanga himself converted to Christianity and was baptized as a Protestant. In his final years, Mwanga's struggles continued. On the 26th of December 1890, he signed a treaty with Lord Lugard, granting certain powers to the Imperial British East Africa Company. These powers were eventually transferred to the crown on the 1st of April, 1893. However, the burden of colonial influence became unbearable for Mwanga. On the 27th of August, 1894, Mwanga reluctantly accepted Buganda becoming a protectorate, but his spirit of resistance remained unbroken. On the 6th of July, 1897, He declared an anti-colonial war against the British, launching an attack that ultimately ended in defeat on July the 20th, 1897. Forced to flee, Mwanga sought refuge in German East Africa, present-day Tanzania, where he was arrested. Despite his disposition, on August the 9th, 1897, Mwanga's tenacity and anti-imperialists persisted. He escaped and returned to Buganda with a revolutionary army driven by a burning desire to free his kingdom and colonial influence. However, their efforts were once again thwarted on the 15th of January, 1898. Mwanga was captured, tortured, and in April 1899, exiled. In the Seychelles, Mwanga's spirit remained unyielding. Coerced into the Anglican church through forced baptism, he was given the name Daniel. Despite a life in exile, his resentments toward the conquest of his people by the British never waned. He urged his fellow Ugandans to continue the struggle against the European rule. Tragically, Mwanga's life came to an end on May 8, 1903. At the age of 34 35, it was a result of torture inflicted by British soldiers and the hardships of starvation. words cannot sum up the emotions from this tragedy and personally i think everyone lost here i think that there was evil on all sides i don't i don't think anyone to be honest with you can be looked at as innocent even down to the saints you know i think what saved them was their tenacity their courage and their bravery and their, you know, unwavering faith in the midst of persecution, you know, and that is what ultimately, you know, cloaked them in this divinity in the last moment of their lives. But if we were to, if we were to find to comb this entire situation, I can't find any person that I can say is innocent, you know, We're going to start with the missionaries, You, you know, you all came into this man's kingdom with the intention of taking it, but you used God as the cloak of faith to influence a land of people who knew nothing about it, but your underlying intention ultimately is to take control and make it yours. And then we look at the king who obviously was indulging in his own something, you know, I'm not going to be the one to say he was a pedophile or this or that, because I don't want to, you know, allege something that I wasn't there with, but I can say something was going on in that palace. Something was off, you know, for these men to renounce him, you have to remember that he gave them a choice. You know, they, he said, either renounce your faith or swear your allegiance to me. These men did neither. These boys did neither that showed that obviously there was something going on that I would rather die than to renounce my faith and to swear my loyalty to you as well, either or, and then we can even look at the men who were martyred, even Charles. And some might say, well, they were spies. You know, the Christian church is going to tell you, you, know, it was all about their faith. It was all about their faith. It, this was beyond faith. This was, this was more so about politics than it had to do with just faith. Faith just happened to be in the background. Faith just happened to be the vehicle that was used to transform this country to, you know, rob these people of their heritage, their culture, their king, their monarchy. Faith was only the vehicle. But the underlying facts here, this was a political situation. And you have to imagine being in this king or even just being his councilman and looking at it from the outside in. These men were working in the palace. They were working alongside him. They knew where he slept, where he ate. They knew the day-to-day goings and comings of this environment. These were men with a lot of information. And not only do they turn their back on their traditional religion that has sustained itself for over a thousand years, they turn their back on their people, their king. So when the king is placed under this pressure, this 18 year old at this time, all of these older people around him saying, look at your country look at everything. Everything's going awry and it's because of you. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? This is what we think you should do, influencing him. What do you think is going to happen? I think that Mwanga really does get cast in the role of, of, of the villain, when ultimately I think that he was just a child with way too much responsibility that he could comprehend. I think that he was a young man discovering himself and his identity, not only culturally, politically, religiously, but also sexually as well. And it just spewed over into just this mess of tension with all of these different influences, whether it be from religion or whether it be from politics. You see, no one in this situation was designed to win except the British crown. They got what they ultimately wanted, which was his crown, his land, Mwanga's land. They cast him out. You know, they tortured him until he died. But what I find very significant from both men, not just Charles Luanga, but also from King Mwanga is the fight. You see, Mwanga came back with armies. To fight against colonization. From the story as it is told. Charles Luanga. He wasn't even burned with the 21 other saints. They burned him first. And they slow roasted him. As if he were a piece of meat. It was not a blazing fire. It was a slow roasted fire. And he had to sit there and roast all day. Horrific. Wrapped in reeds. And when reeds dry out, they are are very, very hard. They can even pierce your skin. What I find ironic, as the story goes. Charles, when he died, you know, they said he never cried out. If anything, he looked at the executioner, smiled and said in his native language, oh, how sweet it is, towards the end. From my research, his last word was Katonda Cotonda. The Roman Catholic Church would Have you believed that it translates to my God? And he was talking about the Christian God. But I challenge that to say. For his last words to be Katonda. The name of his supreme deity, God, of his original pantheon, of his traditional religion. How beautiful is that? Even in his last breath, the echoes of his tradition still live, the echoes of his culture still live, the echoes of his identity still live, whether what he meant from that word or that name, whether he meant the Christian God or whether he meant his traditional God, the name alone whispers of the traditional people of Buganda. And Mwanga, while he may be vilified until forever, he may have made some mistakes. He might have done some things that were 100% against what is ethical, allegedly. I think for some people, we have to respect what he does represent. He is a revolutionary for some. He is a patron of the LGBTQ community, a patron of Africanism as it relates to LGBTQ so instead of vilifying I say do your research I say go play this podcast over I say go check out the website hoodoo read the blog post that I am going to post on this if you want some additional reading I say do your own research and you come to your own conclusion about what you think happened or what you think transcribed here and as it relates to these saints and these 21 martyrs along with Charles well Charles Luanga serves as the patron saint of the youth of black youth of African Catholic youth he is a saint I believe that showed courage tenacity unwavering faith something that i think we all can look towards that if you were stared in the face of your persecutor would you denounce everything that you believe in would you denounce would you hold true would you denounce your faith i mean some of us stand in front of persecutors all the time our families the internet our job we don't want to open up about the fact that we're a practitioner of this, of a traditional religion. We hide it. Mm. Maybe that, maybe this saint can be used for more than just the youth. Maybe you can call upon this saint to inspire your inner child to find some confidence in your own life, in your own practice, with your own family, with your own people, with your own community my people we are coming upon the hour and this was amazing i really enjoyed putting this together for you all i hope you all replay it i hope you all share this i hope you all do your own research and come up with your own conclusions like i said about this story this while it is tragic there is so much that we could pull from these brave young men this brave king who fought against cologne Mm. This brave king who fought against colonization. There's so much that we can pull from here. There's so much that we can gain here. And if nothing else, you learned about the beautiful kingdom of Buganda. My people, as always, I want you to remember that you are strong. You are powerful. You come from the best of the best. Your bloodline is divine. I bless your hands. You're coming. You're going. May the things you touch be like the Midas touch. May they materialize, manifest as if they were gold. We send you out in love, light, peace, most importantly, my people. Protection, we send you out with so much protection. And with that, I release you into the atmosphere. Thanks for listening to the Hoodoo and Chill podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and let us know how much you enjoyed the show. As always, donations of love keep our podcast alive and give us the ability to enhance our content. Please use one of the donation links in the description to send a donation of love today. And we'll see you on the next episode of Hoodoo and Chill.